Like if you're not ready. Well, y'all know it. Let's see those hands. One more time. Take it up. Ready? so good okay remain standing remain standing let's get into our faith confessions and we'll get into some words. first Thessalonians 2 4 God has approved and accepted me Jeremiah 20 11 God has a great plan for my life Philippians 1 6 God will finish the good work he started in me Luke 4 18 the Lord has anointed me I am anointed God has a great plan for my life and I will fulfill my destiny. Before you sit down, fist bump somebody and say, you're going to learn something today you never knew. You never knew. You never, 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 never knew. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 in your Bibles. That comes right after 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If you're trying to find it in your Bibles. Right after 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Um, cell phone, is your cell phone muted? If it's not, I give the person next to you permission to slap you in the face and say, in the name of Jesus. It, they, it, sometimes it happens in the Pentecostal churches. Whoops. Name of Jesus, come out. Cell phone demon. Um, Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. So, we've been building up this series all the way to, to point to what we're going to talk about today. The series is called, um, it, what's the series called? It's called Perfect Gifts. I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing. I'm the pastor. It's called Perfect Gifts for Imperfect People. Perfect Gifts for Imperfect People. And uh, in part four, we talked about um, the, the gift of grace. Part five last week, the Holy Spirit. And today we're going to talk about something that I have never in the history of my entire pastoral ministry ever preached on. So it's the first time ever. It's going to be a lot of teaching. You're going to love it. Today in part six, we're going to talk about baptism in the Holy Spirit. Baptism in the Holy Spirit. Now, I already sense a little bit of resistance just with the title. So listen, nothing weird's going to happen today, okay? Nobody's going to run around the church speaking in tongues. No one's going to grab a hold of the chandeliers and start swinging. Nothing, nothing like that's going to happen, okay? I'm simply going to teach you what the Bible says about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. In fact, I'm going to go ahead and give you all three points, okay? Don't put it on the screen, but all three points, just so you're not anxious. The three points are baptism, uh, tongues, praying in tongues, speaking in tongues, and Pentecost, which is the day, of course, that that first happened. So, um, well, actually, it's not. I'm going to show you in the Bible. But those are the three points. You don't need to write them down because we'll get to them in a second. But nothing weird's going to happen. Nothing scary is going to happen. I want to make one statement before I get into my three points. If you have some type of resistance, if there's something that rises up in you whenever Scripture is read out of the Bible, there's something wrong with you, not the Bible. 
Okay? So if I can teach you something directly out of the Word of God, show you Scripture, 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 if something in you has resistance, it's probably because of something that happened in your past or some teacher that was very unbalanced in teaching it, and maybe it caused fear, anxiety, or something like that. He thought, oh, I don't know if I want that. You want everything that God has to offer you. You want all of it. Okay? So three points for your notes. The first point is this, baptism. Baptism. There are three baptisms that every believer can experience. Three. Now, some of you are thinking, well, I, I think there's only one, and some of you are thinking there's only two. There's three. There's three. The word baptism is in Greek, baptizo. It means to immerse fully. That's why whenever we water baptize, I always teach our people to make sure that you, get, you dunk them all the way underwater. Don't even leave an inch of their head out. The whole thing goes underwater. Fully immersed, fully immersed. Okay, so three baptisms every believer can experience. The first baptism, A, for your notes, is this. The Holy Spirit baptizes us in Jesus. The Holy Spirit baptizes us in Jesus. And it says in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body or the body of Christ. Uh, the Bible teaches us that nobody can come to Jesus. Nobody can get saved unless the Holy Spirit is already convicting them. Right now, the Holy Spirit is all through the world trying to convict people of sins and push them to Jesus to where they finally admit they need a Savior. They can't get to heaven without Jesus, okay? The Holy Spirit. Now, just, just so we can all be on the same page, in this scripture, who is doing the baptizing in this scripture? The Spirit. Do you see that? By one Spirit, we're all baptized. Do you see that? Yes or no? If you don't see it, I can blow it up and make it bigger. The Spirit's doing all the baptizing, okay? The second baptism is this, B, the disciple baptizes us in water. And if you have not been water baptized after you gave your life to Jesus, you need to be. Some of you were sprinkled as a kid. That don't count. Some of you were baptized as a kid. You get baptized in water after you already become part of the body of Christ. After you're saved, you give your life to Jesus. Um, uh, the water baptism, it, it, it represents a few things. It represents uh, what God has done on the inside. You're showing the world on the outside. This is what God did on the inside. You're showing I'm not ashamed to be part of the body of Christ. That's what water baptism is. It also, it also represents circumcision, the circumcision of the heart. Water baptism represents you're letting the old man stay in the water and the new man comes out. Uh, you know, the Old Testament is full of type and shadows of the New Testament. So when, the, when Moses delivered the children of Israel, Moses is a type and shadow of Jesus in the Old Testament because Jesus has delivered us from the bondage of sin. Moses delivered them from the bondage of slavery. They come out of that. Then when they're walking through the Red Sea, they had to do it by faith. They had to believe the water wasn't going to crash down on them. So by faith, everything's done by faith. By faith, they had to walk through the water. But when they got to the other side, they looked back, and the old man, the enemy, the bad guys, they stayed in the water. They drowned in the water. Are, are you with me? So water baptism represents the old man staying down. The new man has come, come forward, okay? okay? The third one is this, what we're talking about today. The third one is Jesus baptizes us in the Holy Spirit. Matthew 3.11. And now listen, I'm going to show you tons of Scripture. Ton scripture. Don't think that I got one or two. I got a ton. Matthew 3.11. I baptize with water those who repent of their sins. Now right there we see two baptisms. I baptize with water those who have repented of their sins and come to Jesus, right? But someone is coming who is greater than I am. Who is that person? Jesus. He, Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. You'll see that fire is synonymous with Holy Spirit, cloud, um, and you'll see anointing oil is synonymous with the Holy Spirit. I baptize you with the Holy Spirit <clears throat> and fire. Okay, there are many yo-yos out there. That's not nice. There are, many, there are many dodos out there who think that this first baptism and the third are the same thing. 
They think, well, when I get saved, that's when I get the Holy Spirit as well. Now, theologically speaking, the Holy Spirit does reside in you when you give your life to Christ. But that is not fully immersed in the Holy Spirit, which we're going to talk about in a little bit. Okay? Now, theologically, theologically, I could prove to you, and I'm going to prove to you with 20-something scriptures, that this baptism and this baptism are different. Theologically, I'm going to prove it to you. Okay? But listen, you don't have to be a theologian to believe it. You just have to know grammar. Grammatically, they're different. Grammatically, they're different. This one, the Holy Spirit's doing the baptizing, and we just read the scripture. This one, Jesus is doing the baptizing, and we just read the scripture. Grammatically, they're not the same. Some of y'all looking at me like, I thought we came for church, not for English lessons, okay? A second grader can see they're not the same. Do you see? Grammatically, they're different. The Holy Spirit's doing it here, the disciples doing it here, and Jesus is doing it there. Does everybody see that? Okay, um, it's like saying, you know what, I met John, John introduced me to Jim, and then Jim helped me really get to know John better. It's two different subjects. Now, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are synoptic gospels. That means they're similar, they have the same stories, okay? Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Um, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all have the birth of Jesus, and then right after that they say, after the beheading of John the Baptist, which happened at the beginning of Jesus' third year of ministry. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke all write the stories from Jesus' third year of ministry. John, when he wrote his gospel, he was in the, his 90s, and he already read Matthew, Mark, and Luke over and over, and he thought, they're not mentioning the, all the miracles and all the things from the first two years. So John writes the first two years of Jesus' ministry in his gospel. There are only a few things, this is so amazing, there are only a few things that all four gospels share, okay? All four gospels have the birth, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus, which is the gospel itself. All four gospels have the feeding of the 5,000, and the only other thing, the only other thing that all four gospels have is the baptism in the Holy Spirit, or with, depending on what preposition you want to use, depending on what scripture you read. That's the only thing they all share. Amazing. Now, I just read you Matthew. Do you see Matthew up there? I'm going to show you Mark, Luke, and John. Mark 1.8 says this, I baptize you in water, but now why would you get baptized in water and then get saved? No, no, that's after salvation. I baptize you in water, but he, Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. It's completely separate. Y'all are still looking at I still feel a little bit of resistance. Just smile while I'm talking. It'll all go much better. Luke 3.16, John said, I baptize you with water, but he, Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. John 1.33, when God sent me to baptize with water, he told me, the one whom you see the Spirit descend and remain is the one who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Okay, the Holy Spirit had never descended and remained, ever, in the history of the universe until then. Um, all through the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit comes down but has to go back up because sin was still not paid for by the, by the blood of Jesus Christ. Uh, the Holy Spirit descended on Saul. It descended on David. In fact, one time David cries out to God, please don't take your spirit from me. But God had to because Jesus has not yet paid for the sins of the world. Okay, When is the first time that the Holy Spirit descended and remained? I read the scripture last week. When is it? It was when Jesus was baptized, right? Jesus was baptized. Remember, the Holy Spirit descended like a dove and remained. The first time the Holy Spirit ever stayed and remained. Okay, you with me? Is Jesus our example, yes or no? Okay, am I at the Baptist church? Is Jesus our example, yes or no? Okay. Was Jesus saved? Now, to get saved, you need to be born again. Now, here's the thing about Jesus. He didn't have to be born again. He was born right the first time. 
The reason he was born right the first time is because God established a law thousands of years ago that says the sins of the father are passed down to the children to the third and fourth generation. Not the sins of the mother, the sins of the father. That is why Jesus could be born of Mary the mother, but his father had to be perfect. His father had to be God. So the seed of God was inside of Mary so that Jesus would not have the sins of the father because his father was perfect. You understand that? So when Jesus was born, he was born perfect the first time. He didn't need to get saved. He was already saved. He was born saved. He was born perfect. He was born right. He didn't need to be born again. Okay? Was Jesus water baptized, yes or no? Somebody said no. The answer is yes. Okay? He was water baptized. Okay. When he was water baptized, did the Holy Spirit descend and remain on him? Yes or no? Okay. Then why, if Jesus needed the power and the person of the Holy Spirit, why don't we? If Jesus needed it, if Jesus was water baptized and Jesus had the Holy Spirit descend and remain on him forever and ever, inside and out, immersed, why wouldn't we want that as well? We should want that, right? We should. Okay, let me read you um, another scripture. Oh, first of all, salvation, water, spirit. Put that up there. Salvation, water, spirit. Okay, let me show you some stuff on this side. There we go. We're so high tech here. We waste no money at all. There we go. Okay, 1 John 5, 7. I'm going to show you all three. And I could do this all day. I'm going to show you all three. Um, there are three that bear witness in heaven. The Father... The Word and the Holy Spirit. Okay, who is the Word? Okay, I, I need to, I really need to. Revelation 19, 12 and John 1, 1 says Jesus is the Word, right? So you got the Trinity right there. Father, the Word, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. These three are one. These, there are three that bear witness on earth. Now, what do they bear witness to? They bear witness to the, the supernatural, that God can change a life from the inside out, okay? They all bear witness. So watch this. The Spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three agree as one. Now, which one do you think the blood represents? Salvation, right? Jesus, okay? The, the three, right? The blood, okay? Uh, which one do you think um, the water represents? Water baptism, okay? And then which one do you think the Spirit represents? Holy Spirit baptism. All, all three are right there. Y'all all need to stay for the second service and hear it again, okay? Okay, so the reason you get saved and give your life to Christ um, is because you can't get to heaven without Jesus. You understand? You can't get to heaven without a Savior. You get water baptized to show the world the old man is done and the new man comes out. The reason you're baptized in the Spirit, and I'm going to show you over and over, the reason you're baptized in the Spirit is so you can have the power to walk in the new man. See, some of you in here, you're saved, but you don't have the power. You're saved, but you keep going back to the old. You're saved, but you can't live it. You're saved, and you're trying to hear from God. You just don't hear clearly because the Holy Spirit is not fully immersed in your life. Some days are good, some days are bad. You have to have the Holy Spirit power. Um, you don't, now, you don't need the water baptism or the spirit baptism to go to heaven. right? Remember the thief on the cross, all he did was look at Jesus and said, Remember me when you get in paradise. And Jesus looked at him and said, Today you'll be with me in paradise. right? He's hanging on the cross. Now, I guarantee you he had this thought. Um, hey, soldiers, um, I really need to be water baptized and baptized in the spirit. So if y'all will let me get down from this cross... I promise I'll come back. I promise I'll come back. You probably had that thought. But you don't have to be, right? But it helps. Okay. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, in verse 6 and 11, it says that the Old Testament is our example for the New Testament. In verse 6 and 11. Verse 1 says this in 1 Corinthians 10. All our fathers were baptized into Moses. Now, Moses is a type and shadow of Jesus, right? He's our deliverer. I told you that a second ago. Into Moses. After they went through the sea, after they, had, they, they were delivered from bondage, they go through the water, they go through the water of the sea. 
What led them? What led them? What showed them where to go when they were in the desert after that? It was a cloud by day. What was it by night? Fire. And we just read earlier the Holy Spirit synonymous with fire. Cloud by day, fire by night. Do you see it? We're all baptized into Moses, the cloud, and in the sea. There's three baptisms. Right? I'm so excited, and y'all don't seem excited. I'm so excited about this. So excited. Okay. Old Testament is our example for the New Testament. Okay. <clears throat> This is the, 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 the tabernacle of Moses right here. Everybody see the tabernacle of Moses. Um, the most holy place, this is what you want to get to. This is the presence of God. This is hearing from God, being with God, worshiping God. That's there. It was the holy place. It was actually the holy place right there and then the most holy place on the other side. Okay, holy place, holy place. Um, that's where the Ark of the Covenant was. The same one that Indiana Jones found in the 80s. Same exact one, okay? And so... Um, and so on the Ark of the Covenant, there were two cherubim on top. And the presence of God would come and dwell in between the cherubim on the Ark of the Covenant. Because the presence of God could not dwell in a person because Jesus is not yet taking care of the sins of the world, right? So God would dwell. The goal is to get where God dwells. That's the goal. To get in the tabernacle is a side note, and this has nothing to do with this, but I just want to say it. There's only one door. One door. There's not a door through Buddha. There's not a door through Muhammad. There's not a door through trying to be a good person. There's one door, and the Bible tells us that Jesus is the door. Okay, one door. When you go in, there were three things you had to do before you get to the most holy place. Three things you had to do. The first thing you had to do was you had to, um, oh, man, this isn't going to be as good as I thought. Um, I should have practiced this. You had to kill a lamb. <laughs> but a smiley face, he doesn't know he's going to die. <clears throat> That's why there's a smiley face on him. <clears throat> okay, anyway, <clears throat> so there had to be blood had to be shed. There had to be a blood sacrifice. What do you think the blood sacrifice represents? Can we say salvation because the blood of Jesus was for the remission of our sins? Okay, <clears throat> after that, there was, a, um, there was a wash basin where you had to wash yourself with water. What do you think water represents? Water baptism. We're on the same page. After that... There was a flask, and it was filled with oil, and you had to be anointed with oil. What do you think that represents? Here's what a lot of Christians try to do. <clears throat> they come through the door, they, they, they get saved, they get water baptized, and they skip the Holy Spirit part and try to get to the presence of God every single day. And, and what would happen if you went to this place without doing what you were supposed to do first? What would happen? you die. Okay, there's a lot of Christians out there. They kind of have a dead walk. They, they're not excited about witnessing. They're not excited. They read their Bible. They don't even understand it. The Bible says the Spirit's the one that helps you understand the Bible. <clears throat> they're trying to live a better life every day. They just keep going back to the old, back to the old, back to the old, because they're skipping one of the most powerful things that we can possibly do, be anointed with the Holy Spirit. This is such a good sermon, such a good sermon. No, 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 no. I don't, don't do it now if I had to ask for it. Second service is going to love it. <clears throat> Okay, so people, a lot of people think the last words of Jesus were the end of Matthew. They were not. The last words of Jesus are Acts 1, verse 4, and he said this. Being assembled together with them, he commanded them to wait for the promise, which is what Jesus called the Holy Spirit a lot in the Gospels, the promise of the Father, which he said, you've heard from me. For John baptized with water after you got saved, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, why do we even want the Holy Spirit? Watch this, verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Now, who doesn't want that? 
Who doesn't want the power? Okay, point number two for your notes is this. <clears throat> tongues. Tongues. Praying in tongues, speaking in tongues. Now, um, the gift of tongues along with the gift of interpretation, we talked about that last week a little bit and the week before. The gift of tongues is from God. From God. We're not talking about that today. There's a separate tongues in the Bible. We're talking about praying or speaking in tongues, and this is to God, not from to. From the Holy Spirit to God. And I'm going to show you right here. 1 Corinthians 14, 2. He who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God. For no one understands but his spirit. in his spirit he speaks mysteries. Okay, every believer who's baptized with the Holy Spirit can pray in tongues. Everyone. And I'm going to show you that today. So don't anybody get up. The ushers have already locked the doors so you can't get out anyway, okay? <clears throat> why would you want to pray in tongues? I'm, I'm, I'm just like, why? What? Why? Why would I even teach it to you? Yes, in the Bible, but why would we want to? Well, Jude verse 20 says this. You, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Does anyone in this room no longer need building up anymore? Okay, good. 1 Corinthians 14, 4. The one who speaks in a tongue edifies him. Does anyone here not need any edification? You know what? I've had so much edification in my life. I'm just done. I don't need any more. Nobody. Right? Okay. But the one who prophesies edifies the church. I wish that you all, notice he was from Aner. I wish that you all spoke in tongues. I'm just kidding. Okay. As your pastor, I wish that all of you could pray in tongues. Here's why. Because you need building up and you need edification on a regular basis. And you need the power. 1 Corinthians 14, 14. For if I pray in a tongue. Now, real quick, this is going to knock that theory out the park that is uncontrollable. You know, you're going to be in Publix one day, and you're checking out your groceries. The Holy Spirit's on you, and all of a sudden, you just feel the Spirit. You're going to grab the intercom, you know, clean up an aisle nine, and start praying in tongues. <clears throat> it's not going to happen like that, okay? If I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays. Now, first of all, out of your body, your soul, and your spirit, which one is perfect? Your spirit. Your soul needs a lot of work. Your soul's continuously being saved on earth. Your body will be saved when you get to heaven, but your spirit is saved. Your spirit's perfect. Your spirit is what takes your soul to heaven because your body's going to stay here. You get a new body in heaven. We're going to recognize each other by our souls, our personality, but your soul's not perfect. Your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. You need a lot of work. Trust me. You're here because your soul. That's why you're here, okay? Your spirit's already perfect. So if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind or my soul's unproductive. What is the conclusion? I will pray with the Spirit, but I'll also pray with my mind in English, whatever language you speak. I will sing in the Spirit, but I'll sing in my mind. Verse 18, I thank God. Now, this is the most, this, this Apostle Paul, he wrote more of the New Testament than all of you combined, okay? He was caught up in the third heaven and can't even write about some of the stuff God showed him. And he said this, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than you all. Nevertheless, in church... Because the Bible says they'll think you're mad if you do it around unbelievers, and there's always unbelievers in church. In church, I prefer to speak five words with my mind rather than 10,000 in a tongue. Um, <clears throat> now, real quick, let me just say before I start talking about it. Anytime I read the Bible, if something in you feels like, oh, I don't like that, that's weird, there's nothing wrong with the Bible. There's nothing wrong with the Bible. I actually, I can say this for the first time ever in my entire pastoral ministry, for the first time ever, I finally have all elders, all of our elders, love me, love the church, love Jesus, and have no ulterior motives for being an elder. 
So for the first time in my entire life, I feel 100% comfortable that the elders we have are exactly who God wants us to have. I'm saying that because there was a time before, a while back, and we had an elders meeting, and I was using a scripture, and one of the elders said, I hate it when you're always using Bible scripture. And another one said, I, I can't argue with you because I don't know the Bible like you do. I'm thinking, why do you want to argue with the Bible? We're elders in a church, right? We're not running a McDonald's. We're supposed to use the Bible. That's what we're supposed to do. Okay, so if something in the Bible upsets you, there's a problem with you, not the Bible. So really understand that, okay? So why does he want everyone to pray in tongues? Why, why does he say pray in tongues and in, and, and in your soul? Well, your mind, let me say this. Your mind, your will, and your emotions, you can pray, but sometimes you don't know what to pray, and sometimes you pray the wrong thing. And your mind will pray what you want, what you think, what you feel. That's your soul. When you pray in your spirit, it's perfect. Uh, let me say this, and I'll, I'll prove it to you in a little bit, but um, praying in tongue, tongues is the only pure language that's ever existed in the history of the universe. It is the only language that has no cuss words, the only language where there's no negativity, the only language where there's no complaining, where there's no fear, the only language without any immoral words. It's a pure language. So when you pray in your spirit, you could be praying for somebody in Africa you don't even know, and God said, that's what I need to go do the work. And you say, well, why, why does he even need it? Why doesn't God just do the work anyway? Because God established in the very beginning that words have power. In fact, in the very beginning in Genesis, the Bible says the Holy Spirit was hovering over the waters, but the earth was without form and void. Nothing was happening until God spoke and said, let there be light. And then the Holy Spirit went to work, and light came in 138 miles per second. 136 miles, 136,000 miles per second. It came really fast. It came so fast, okay? So words carry power. And sometimes you're praying the wrong thing and you're messing things up in the spirit realm. But when you pray in the spirit, you're always praying. The, you could be praying for your business. You could be praying for someone you love. You could be praying for somebody else. You don't even know. But when your spirit prays, God goes to work. It's amazing. It's amazing. Okay, so because a lot of times we pray soulish prayers, right? What we feel, what we think. So there's three things I want to I blow out of the water, okay? A, B, and C. Put it on the screen. So tongues is not gibberish. It's a language. Tongues is a language, and let me prove it to you, okay? The word tongues in the Greek uh, is the word glossa. Everybody say glossa. Um, what is an English word that has the root glossa attached to it? Glossary. What is glossary? It's a language. You know what the word tongues means in the Bible? And this is scary. Language. It literally means language. So if the word tongues upsets you in the Bible, the word language upsets you in the Bible because it's a language. It is a language. It's a pure language. It's the only pure language in existence. It's not gibberish. Uh, the other thing <clears throat> I want you to see is you don't speak it fluently the first day. And I'm going to tell you in a little bit and pray that you get baptized in the Holy Spirit. You don't speak it fluently the first day. You have to yield your tongue to the Holy Spirit, and it grows because it's a language. If you have more than one child, I have five, uh, you know, at times, like for instance, um, when, when Eli was two or three and Zach was three years older than him, so Zach was, um, you know, five or six years old, Eli would come in, he'd have a little saggy diaper and a little Elmo shirt, and he'd say, I say, I don't know what you're talking about. And then Zach would walk by and say, He says he wants orange juice. <laughs> and we'd give him orange juice and he'd just smile, yeah, yeah. We'd be at the dinner table and Eli would say, and what do you do? And Zach said, he says he dropped his passy on the floor. <clears throat> Pick up his passy, hand it to him, and everything will be fine. So Eli had the gift of tongues, and Zach had the gift of interpretation. <clears throat> I'm totally joking, but I am saying this. When my kids were learning how to speak, I never once thought there was something wrong. I never once got upset with them. I thought it was cute. 
Okay? When you grow in your prayer language like this, your father thinks it's cute. And he wants to help you get more and more and more in that vocabulary of tongues. Okay? The third thing is this. <clears throat> you can control it. <clears throat> you can control it. Why would the Apostle Paul give us instructions on when, how, and where if it was uncontrollable? Um, I, I think, I hope we can agree, I hope that I have a gift of teaching. I hope that I have that gift, okay? You can't hand me a calculus book and say, okay, go teach this class right now. I have to prepare. It doesn't just come out. Um, <clears throat> there's something called the gift of giving. It's where God uses people who give far more than 10% <clears throat> towards ministries and build ministries all around the world. And if you're walking by the tithe box, money's not going to jump out of your pocket. Oh, look at that. I got the gift of giving. That money just keeps jumping out. You have to write a check. You have to do your part, okay? It's the same thing with this. I had a friend back in the um, late 90s, early 2000s. She, um, she was raised Pentecostal, holiness, and um, most amazing singer you ever heard. I've never heard. It was, you know how Whitney Houston could control her voice so perfectly? This girl could do that, control her voice perfectly. She sang on some of my CDs. Amazing singer. But she was a waitress by trade, and she kept getting fired from her jobs because as she was delivering food in the middle of the restaurant, she'd start praying in tongues in front of everybody. She got fired from one job. She started another job. She'd, oh, the, today's specials are fish. We have a smoked salmon. You don't go and just start praying in tongues in front of everybody. They fired her again. I went to her one day. I said, why do you keep, what's going on? She said, oh, the spirit just falls on me, and it just, it just happens. Okay, that's unbiblical. And she was not taught properly that you can control it. You can do it under your breath. You go to the bathroom. You wait till later, whatever. But that's not going to happen to you, okay? So don't be afraid. It is not going to happen to you. You have to yield your tongue to the Holy Spirit. He's not going to force your mouth to move. He's not going to force your tongue to move. It's unbiblical for that to happen, okay? You have a free will. Um, once you start studying things in the Bible, you'll see it everywhere. When I was studying um, on, on heaven, because I wrote a book on heaven, I saw, I started, there's thousands of scriptures. I was just seeing heaven all through the Bible, everywhere, every story, there was something about heaven because I was studying it. If, now that you understand what I'm teaching you about praying in tongues and about uh, the gifts of the Spirit and, and the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you'll see it a lot more, okay? Everyone in this room probably knows the armor of God in Ephesians 6, right? Pray on the belt of truth, helmet of salvation, sword of the Spirit, blessed by righteousness, shoes of peace, on and on. What happens for a lot of people is they read that scripture and they leave out the last part of it. The last part of it says this in Ephesians 6, 14 through 18. Stand firm, belt of truth, all the stuff, sword of the Spirit. And here's what it says at the end. Pray at all times in the Spirit. Could it be that some of you are losing battles in the Spirit realm because you're not praying in the Spirit? You haven't even fully ever put on your entire armor of God because you put it on praying in the Spirit. Okay, point number three for your notes is this. Pentecost. Pentecost. Uh, this is when it first happened, uh, and I am going to, I don't want you to be, I know the word Pentecostal can be scary. Sometimes we see words in the Bible, we think, I don't know if I want to study that. So let me tell you what Pentecost means, okay? Penta means five, like the Pentagon has five sides. Cost or costi in Greek means to the tenth power. So here's what Pentecost means. It's real scary. You ready? Fifty. And that's scary. Well, if you're 49, I guess that would be scary for you, but for the most part, 50 is not that scary. Well, I'm 44. Yeah, it does look scary. Anyway, okay, so as long as I have my hair. Uh, 50, so it means 50. So uh, 50 days after the first Sabbath after Passover. Let me say it again. 
Pentecost was 50 days after the first Sabbath after Passover. You don't need to know this on the test, but if you really count 50 days, you're going to think it doesn't add up. But if you look at Leviticus 27, verse 15, you'll see that God changed it. He knew that they were going to be waiting 10 days, and then he knew that Jesus would be on the earth 40 days, so he fixed it perfectly so that 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus will be the day of Pentecost. Okay? You don't need to know that, but I just wanted to say it on the recording just so you have it. Okay, so Acts 2 is when this starts. Acts 2, 1 through 3. Watch this. When the day of Pentecost had come... <clears throat> They were all in one accord. Now, I'm going to make a joke only so you remember this, okay? They were not in a Honda. They were not in a Honda. But I want you to remember the phrase, everybody say one accord. Everybody say it. Okay, you're going to need to know that in about seven minutes if you really want to learn something super cool, okay? If you don't, you can forget it. They were all in one accord. Tongues that looked like fire rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, who was the disciples, right? They already knew Jesus. They were already water baptized. I guess they don't need anything else. No. They need to be filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with <clears throat> different tongues as the Spirit was giving them the ability to speak out. Okay, a few things. The word different there, if you have a King James Bible, it says divided. Divided is not a bad word. D-I-V-I-D in the middle of that is also in the word individual. Okay, It was individual tongues. If I got a big old pizza and I divided it and passed it out, you'd be happy. So divide is not a bad word. They had different tongues, divided tongues. They all had an each tongue, okay? Most theologians believe in this day of Pentecost, when this happened, most theologians believe that everyone in the room that had the tongue of fire, that they could not see their own tongue. Most theologians believe that when they would look up, it would be behind them like that. But they could see everybody else's tongue. So they had to believe by faith that they had one. Okay, that's what happened there. Uh, verse 5, let's continue. There were Jews residing in Jerusalem, men from, now, one accord, don't forget one accord, and watch this, every nation under heaven. Can you remember that? Every nation under, everybody say it, every nation under, okay, remember that. When this occurred, the crowd came together. They came together in unity, and they were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. <clears throat> that's a miracle. Now, there are a lot of Christians out there that are completely wrong. They think that this was only for the day of Pentecost and we can never experience this, okay? Well, five years after Pentecost, they take the gospel to Samaria. In Acts 8, verse 12, when they believed Philip as he was preaching the good news, both men and women were being baptized. Verse 14, when the apostles heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John who came and prayed for them, that they had everything they needed and there was nothing else they needed. Is that what it says? They went and prayed for them that they would receive the Holy Spirit. Why? For they had simply been baptized in the name of Jesus. Do you see it? The second service is going to see it and love it. Goodness. Most believers, they get saved and water baptized and they stiff arm the Holy Spirit. But I guess that's only for the day of Pentecost. Okay, 24 years after Pentecost, 54 A.D., Acts 19, 1 through 6, Paul passed through Ephesus, found some disciples. Were they disciples or not? They were, does it say disciples, yes or no? And asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you... Why would he ask them that? They're already disciples. Of course, they already received the Holy Spirit. They don't need anything else. Did you believe? And they said, we hadn't even heard of the Holy Spirit. That's like a lot of people in this room. He said, into what then were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. Paul said, John baptized with that of repentance, salvation, and then water. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of Jesus. And when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began to speak with tongues. 
the greatest apostle who ever lived, said there's some disciples, they've been baptized in Jesus, they've been baptized in water, and they're still missing something. They need the Holy Spirit. Okay, now I've proved everything I want to say today. Now I'm going to show you something super cool. Okay, that's really going to, you're really going to enjoy this. In Zephaniah, there's a messianic, there's a, there's a prophecy in Zephaniah in the Old Testament. Zephaniah 3 verse 9 says this. Can everybody see it? Is this in y'all's way? This is a really cool part, so I want to make sure you can see this. Zephaniah 3 9. For then, when the Messiah comes, I will restore to the peoples or the nations. Now, what did I tell you to remember earlier? Every nation under heaven, right? Remember I said every nation under heaven. That's the day of Pentecost. I will restore to the peoples or nations a pure language, the only language in existence with nothing bad, nothing negative, nothing complaining, nothing. That they may call on the name of the Lord to serve him in, what's the other thing I told you to remember? One accord. Do you see that up here? Can we all just agree that this is a prophetic scripture concerning the day of Pentecost? Can we all agree? Pure language, one accord, all peoples and all nations. Can we understand that? Okay. The only way you can have unity is through proper communication, just so you know. Unity, proper communication always gives unity. Um, it says restore. That's unusual. Why doesn't it say when this happens, I'm going to give them this pure language? But it uses the word restore. The only way you can restore something is if you used to have it and you don't have it anymore. Right? Restore is you had it, something happened, you lost it, I need to restore. It doesn't say I'll give us this, I'll restore. I'm curious, what language do you think they speak in heaven? There can never be, remember, there's no sin in heaven, no cuss words. Let me ask you, what language do you think they spoke in the Garden of Eden? When God created a perfect setting, a perfect atmosphere, and God Himself, who could, after this happened, he couldn't even dwell in a person. He had to dwell in a place. God himself would walk with Adam and Eve and talk. The Bible says they talked every day. What language did they speak? Be, don't say Hebrew because the first Jew won until Genesis chapter 12, right? So, 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 so this is really good. Okay, so remember the Tower of Babel? Genesis 11 verse 1. The whole earth had... So up until this point, up until this point, the whole earth had one language and one speech. And it came to pass that they said to one another, Let us make bricks and stone and build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven. Now, okay, don't, 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 don't look at the screen. Look at me for a minute. Look at me. Um, thousands of years ago, things were different on earth than they are now. One of the things was is you could see more things spiritually. Another thing was animals used to speak. I don't know if you know that or not, but in the Garden of Eden when the snake spoke, none of them were like, there's a talking snake. They just started having a conversation, right? Remember Balaam and donkey? Remember Balaam and his donkey? That's my Shrek impression. Donkey! No. Any, donkey! Donkey! What am I talking about? Oh, uh, Balaam, Balaam and his donkey. So remember Balaam, and remember the donkey spoke and Balaam didn't say, um, I'm going to take you to the circus and make some money off of you. They just had a conversation. 
Animals could speak, but then sin, you know, sin's polluted our world. The way the sun looks now is not how it looked 6,000 years ago. The way our ocean, oh, Lord have mercy. The way our ocean looks now is not how it looked 6,000 years ago, just so you know. The way fruit tasted 6,000, it doesn't taste like it does now. Okay, you with me? Okay, you could see things in the spirit realm 6,000 years ago. You could see heaven. Now, every scripture in heaven, and I've wrote a book on it, everyone in heaven always talks about from earth to look up. Look up to heaven, up to heaven, it's up to heaven. Every time it talks about someone from heaven coming, they, they went down, they went down. So heaven's above us in a realm that we can't see now, but I believe you could see it thousands of years ago. You could see it, okay? Because they're trying to build a tower to get to heaven. And they're building it up because they can see heaven. Why else would they know where heaven was at? For all they know, heaven could be in another continent or another part of the world or another, another, another planet somewhere. They could see heaven. So why didn't God say, let them try? Just let them try. They'll never be able to do that. It says there, it says, let us make bricks and build for ourselves a city whose tower and top will reach into heaven. Verse, oh, Genesis 11, 1. It's not up there. Come on, man. 11, 1. Stay with me. Okay. The whole earth had one language, one speech. Came to pass. They said to one another, come, let us make bricks and stone, build for ourselves a city and tower whose top will reach to heaven. Verse 5 says this. Now the Lord came down. Where was he at? He was up. He came down from heaven to see the city and the tower they built. And the Lord said, behold, they are one people and they have one language. Now nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. The language they had in unity, nothing will be impossible for them. If Why do you think Satan fights against unity and praying in tongues so much? The two things I think he fights with churches and Christians more than anything else around the world, unity, praying in tongues. Now nothing will be impossible for them. Nothing will be impossible for them. Why didn't God say, oh, let them try? Because nothing will be impossible. And so what did God have to do to stop them from causing this impossible thing? You're getting way ahead of me. We, listen, you're getting so far ahead of me, I'm going to call you up here to preach. <laughs> Verse 7 says this, come, let us. Now, the word us is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I want you to see the Holy Spirit's involved. It's the same exact word in Genesis 1, uh, 27, where he said, let us make man in our own image. Okay? Let us, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Go down and confuse their language so they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them over the face of the earth. Therefore, it was named Babel because the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And Babel simply means confusion. Here's what I want you to see. Uh, on Babylon, they had one language, but they lost it and they got scattered. Uh, on the day of Pentecost, they all came with different languages, but they were given one. In Babylon, um, they were all in one accord starting off and then they got confusion. On the day of Pentecost, they all came together not knowing what to do, but they came in one accord in unity. In uh, Babylon, they were in total rebellion. In Pentecost, they were in total humility. Babylon, uh, Pentecost is the blessed reversal of the judgment of Babel. So anytime you study Babylon, I want you to look at Pentecost. At the same time, this week when you're studying and you're studying tongues, you know, besides 1 Corinthians 14, I want you to study Acts 2, and I want you to study Genesis 11 and just see what God did there, okay? Pure language. Okay, let me close with this, and then I'll let you go. Uh, there's a, a famous pastor. He passed away just a few years ago, Dr. Peter Lord. Uh, he pastored Park Avenue Baptist Church in Florida for several years. He actually wrote a famous book back in the 70s or 80s that every pastor's used called uh, Turkeys and Eagles about these two little eagles that are born with a bunch of turkeys, and one of them figures out he's an eagle, but he has to get away from the turkeys in order to fly and whatever. Okay, so he wrote that book. Um, his theological upbringing taught him that Pentecost <clears throat> was only for people in the Bible. That's all it was for. So one day he's studying for a sermon that he's preaching on the Holy Spirit. 
And the Lord spoke to him and said, have you received the Holy Spirit into your life? And he said, well, of course I did. When I got saved, the Holy Spirit lives inside of me. And theologically, that's correct. His mother-in-law, a few months before that, came to live with he and his wife. And he didn't really like his mother-in-law, but he did it because he loved his wife and they're taking care of her. And so the Lord spoke to him and said, your mother-in-law lives in your house. Have you received her? And he thought, "Mm, not fully, not completely received her. Okay, because of your upbringing, you haven't fully received the Holy Spirit, even though he might live in your house. So this week, this week, here's what I want you to do. This week, I want everybody to promise me you'll do this. A few times this week, I want you to get alone. I want you to get your Bible out and read either 1 Corinthians 14 or Acts 2. I want you to play some worship music really loud so that you don't feel embarrassed. I want you to pray a little bit in English, and then I want you to just yield your tongue to the Holy Spirit. Just yield your tongue to the Holy Spirit. And no matter what comes out, Just keep going and keep going. And I promise you, I promise you, because you're doing it in faith. I promise you. You'll sense a stronger anointing of the Holy Spirit. And your vocabulary will grow. And you'll wish you had learned this years and years ago. It's one of the most powerful things as a believer you can do. And you need to ask the Lord, ask Jesus, baptize me in the Holy Spirit. Fully immerse me in your spirit today. Will you all do that for me? Okay, heads bowed, eyes closed. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. I know that some things may have seemed kind of unusual to you. Just ask yourself, is it in the Bible? And is it for my good? And the answer will be yes and yes. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands because I don't want just some people. I want everybody in here. So, Lord, I pray right now that every person in this room, by the sound of my voice, who has been saved and water baptized, I pray that they receive your Holy Spirit. I pray that they get fully immersed in your Holy Spirit. I pray that they hear you speak through the Holy Spirit. I pray that they are led by day and led by night by your Holy Spirit. I pray that they will receive the ability to pray in tongues and pray in faith and pray in the spirit realm. Lord, I thank you for giving us this pure language that we can spiritually pray for whatever needs to happen in the world, in our life, in our family, at our workplace, on the other side of the world for Israel. Lord, right now, I just ask that you baptize every person in this room. Fully immerse them in your Holy Spirit. Bring all the gifts, all the gifts, every single one of them. The Holy Spirit is the gift, so bring everything you got. We want the power. We want the ability to witness. We want the excitement for being a Christian. We want the ability to understand the Word of God when we read it. We want to hear your voice. We want to pray in the Spirit. We want everything that you have for us. Lord, I thank you for strengthening this church with your Holy Spirit. I thank you for strengthening the relationships in this room with your Holy Spirit. I thank you for giving us faith where we need faith. 
giving us joy where we need joy, giving us understanding where we need understanding. Lord, I thank you for every single thing the Holy Spirit does. We invite him into this room right now. We invite him into our lives. From the bottom of our feet to the top of our head, Lord, fully immerse us in your spirit. We love you. We thank you for it this day. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. amen. Let's stand.